Warning, Mombies will discuss information regarding true crime or other topics that are spooky in nature. This may be offensive to some listeners. For more information on the potential trigger warnings in this episode, please review our show notes and be cautious when listening. I'm Beth. I'm Christina. And I'm Holly. And we're the Mombies. great question weird just just absolutely strange how do you even do that i feel like that's gotta mean something hello spooky humans welcome back to the mommy's podcast i'm beth i'm holly and i'm katie she's back we're back um, the third part of our wolf pack is here to help with today's episodes that we're recording. We've got a lot of work to do for you guys today, and we're so glad that you're here. Welcome back, Katie. Thanks. I'm real glad to be here. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, we also have a new patron to welcome today. Uh, so today's patron shout out goes to Susan Lester, who joined the Mombi Horde. Welcome, Susan. Susan welcome, Lester. Lester. Uh, we love you. I also wanted to give you a little update on the Stephanie Wasilishin case. Now, if you haven't listened to that one yet, we covered Stephanie's case in episode 19. So make sure you go back and give it a listen. Uh, at the time, we were the only podcast that had covered the case. Now, in the past few months, Nikki has been busting her ass. Nikki is Stephanie's daughter, for those of you who haven't listened yet. Um, and she's gotten on a bunch of other podcasts. So I just kind of wanted to give those a shout out and ask you guys to go give them a listen. Uh, you might even find your second favorite podcast. <clears throat> yes. Uh, in no particular order, Stephanie's case has now been featured on the Visitation podcast. Uh, here's the Backstory podcast, the Crime Solver podcast on Facebook, uh, Twisted and Uncorked, Sipping on Some Crime, and World's True Crime podcast. Now, there are more in the works, so to stay up to date, you can follow Nikki on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Assuming the government doesn't fucking ban it. Uh, don't get me started on that. Government. And uh, she has a new TikTok. So the one I mentioned in the other episode, uh, I don't think she's using anymore because of TikTok shit. So uh, her new screen name is at Nicole Wasilishin 726. And if you're not sure on how to spell that, go find the episode and it's there instead of me sitting here spelling it out. Uh, now That's the, a really long name. Yeah. It is. It is. Uh, <laughs> the biggest news on the podcast front is that Nikki is recording with Sarah motherfucking Turney next week. What? You know who that is? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll talk later. Uh, so as you're listening, the episode <laughs> should be getting ready to record. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah is a fucking legend in the true crime community. Hopefully we will get to tell the, the chance to tell her story sometime. But uh, right now she's asked people to hold off covering it while her sister's case is in the trial phase and obviously we respect that and her Um, but if you do want to hear it she does tell the story on her podcast which is voices for justice um go listen to those podcasts yeah go listen um and and thanks to those podcasts too for the shout outs 
<laughs> they can do it i have faith <laughs> smart listeners welcome oh, the true. other comedian to the show right. so we also need to mention the little teaser we gave you a couple weeks ago uh, that we said we were speaking with someone and had something in the works for you all uh, last monday for you listening right now uh, we shared a tiktok so if you're following us there you got your next big clue about who we're talking to holly do you want to tell everyone a little bit about that yeah so beth and i took a little drive <laughs> Um, about an hour and a half. It was a fucking awesome. The drive was gorgeous. But we took a drive out to it was a real nice day. Potosi Correctional Potosi. Center, which is a maximum security prison, mm-hmm. uh, all male prison. Mm-hmm. So we may or may not have gone inside and mm-hmm. maybe talked to somebody. Maybe. I guess we'll we'll find out. Or we're just gonna send you pictures of the parking lot. <laughs> That's Probably possible too. Probably have talked to anybody, and yeah. it had been a winner. Yeah. <laughs> On TikTok, Raja suggested that we were planning a prison break. Oh my! Oh yeah. No. Or um, what was the other thing? We were that, going. Oh, we're planning and a murder. That's on planning. record. We are not, we're not planning a prison break. No, no, no. In no, case no. the government is listening. Yes. No, we're <laughs> not. Definitely. Um, definitely not. Um, what we are. They doing. are now. No, they're listening. Uh, <laughs> you said government. <laughs> P.S. If the FBI is listening, I'm still wait- waiting for you to call me about that Samuel Little setting up the website. Let's do it. <laughs> so okay, that's so, it. That's what you yeah, get. That's Samuel. Yeah. So we'll have more as we go we've already gotten permission to tell you guys uh who it is and kind of what's happening but it's more, want to spoil it's more fun, fun to make you no. wait so uh yeah she's gasping over here she already knows yeah, right and yes, i do already we, know. like we didn't have this because conversation for the last friends. 45 minutes before we started <laughs> wait, I wait wait everything wait, wait. did you just I, say we're best friends I was yeah gonna i fucking did out loud and i know everything i know i know about every every wrinkle of your husband's balls every (laughs) wait did we discuss that sorry roger seriously it's my favorite for the woman who's like you do know me no dick and balls no you certainly talk about a lot of dick and balls right (laughs) (laughs) anyways so yes i do know what the surprise is and yes I am much like Kristen Wiig on Saturday Night Live when she's so excited. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> All right. So today we are taking it back to the spooky side. We've been talking true crime for a bit, so I thought maybe we'd change it up, and we're going to discuss the story of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yes! Uh, This is definitely going to be a two-parter. My notes say it's looking like it's going to be a two-parter. One. And that wasn't intentional. I was trying to make it one, but it was just too much. And I left out a lot. And we were talking about it, because I was like, I feel like you... Yeah, I'm like, I feel like we should make it two episodes. It'd be helpful for us also. And, you know, I don't don't mind those. I love it, because I know when I see like it's part one, I'm like, fuck yeah, this is gonna be juicy. Yeah, like there's right. so much information yeah, in it. So I like that. But she that's told me so how many true. pages it was, and then you were gonna be here. I'm like, oh my god, it'll be a six hour episode. Split that shit up. <laughs> and I left out some of the bigger cases, which I'm gonna talk about here in just a second. But um over three decades, the Warrens investigated over three thousand paranormal and supernatural disturbances. Uh Amazing. What is crazy. that? How many is that? How many? Years? How many? I was like, how many? it's over no, like 3,000, Katie. Year. Per year. Oh, per so, year. So how long did it say they were doing it? 3,000 th- over three decades. So it'd be 1,000 so a year? 1,000. No, that would be 30,000. <laughs> I said 1,000 a year times three. 
Oh, three decades. Holy fuck. Yeah, I'm multiplying years. it by the three it's that I see in front of me. 100 a year. My math it's wasn't mathing. 100 a year? 100 a fucking year. Oh my God. That's like that's one every three one days. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Three, three days. No, that's not right. <laughs> no, yes, that's right. No. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> God damn it. All of us were like, (laughs) you know what? I bet, I bet it was like there was weeks where they're like just drowning and they just can't catch a break, and then there's other weeks where it's like just quiet as could be. Right, life's normal. That's true. This week in their life, we did six exorcisms. Yes, right. Yes, weekend. The next week, they're like, no demons. We're on vacation. We're gonna take a break. (laughs) So here for everyone, we're gonna do an overview of who the Warrens were kind of what they did, some of the cases they investigated, and then on Patreon, you'll get a deeper dive into the case of the Beckford family. Ooh, which I haven't heard of, so I'm excited. How about you? Wait, isn't that what one of the... uh... No. It's not? (laughs) She was like, nope. I know know. where you're headed with that. Yeah. I know, because I I was like, oh, I don't know. And she's like, nope, you don't know. And I was like, ooh! (laughs) (laughs) I specifically picked it for that reason, because I thought everyone knows some of the other cases. Give us your money on Patreon, and then you can let them do it. I know. Uh, anyway, on today's episode, so I tried to keep it brief when I talked about like the Enfield case, which is the Conjuring 2. Um, I didn't mention the Perrin family case, which is the Conjuring 1, or the Devil Made Me Do It case, which was the Conjuring 3. Um, they weren't talked about much in the book that I used, and I thought maybe we'd kind of save those and they might get an episode later on. So um, there's a decent amount of information for sure on the Enfield and the Perrin family. So Now, Holly, do you know much about Ed and Lorraine Warren? Um, I kind of, I mean, I do, and I know all that stuff. I love the movies and everything, but probably like all the guts of it, then probably not. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Are they oh. still alive or are no. they dead? They have passed away. And it hasn't been a Did they die duper... before those movies were made? Ed did. Lorraine didn't. Yeah. What'd she have to say about those? Did she they, Oh, no, them? wait. Maybe he didn't because I think, I think they both consulted on the first I was gonna, one. Yeah. Really? I don't have the dates for the movies. Because it's like, it's been in the last like decade-ish yeah. that yeah. they died. If someone pulls up. If someone pulls up the date, I can tell you for sure when, if, you know, the, the difference, but, um, I just lost my spot. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, No, you're okay. No, no, it was you. I was going to ask you, how about you? Did you know anything? Do you know a lot about them? No. No. (laughs) No. Did you know that they're tied to those movies and stuff though? Yes. Okay. And their names and what they- And I do feel like they were collectors of of items. Yes. That was true. That's a real thing. And for me, that's fucking nuts. Why? I mean, I guess they thought that was the safest for- humanity yeah, you know yeah. but ugh, how do you sleep at night i think it comes back to what their mission was which was really just to help people and to and to teach people so oh, um so I, I personally wasn't very familiar with ed or with the stuff that he had done when i started researching the case but lorraine was actually on a tv show called paranormal state back in the early like 2000s like around 2007 um and i watched that so i just always loved her and thought she was adorable and huh. seemed to be legit well, I'll be damned. So, so I wonder who's doing that now. Oh wait, wait, wait! I think I read that part. That her is it their son? So it's so they have that? they have a daughter. Their son-in-law is kind of running the, all, all okay, of the, the stuff. Okay, the son-in-law. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so is he still? Does he do what they did? Does he? I'm not is sure. He gifted. I'm I'm not sure. I'm sure Ed taught him. Because like now, imagine. who's taking care of all these they taught, possessions now? Who? Because there was Lorraine. Now who's doing it? They taught a lot of classes and taught people how right, to do stuff and took people at least on hundred a year. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of demons. <laughs> yeah, they took people on cases with them and stuff and taught people before I uh, passed away. So yes, can you imagine being some of those people that learned from them? Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be crazy. Um, 
I yeah, feel like you hopefully. would need somebody like Lorraine, though, mm-hmm. that had, like, a special Well, gift. I mean, Lorraine was she... the only one. Right. And I'm sure those people, yeah, they try to find each other. And... Yeah, yeah. There are definitely other others like her. kind. Of, I mean, not like her, but you know what I mean. Uh, anyway. Okay, so in February of 1976, Ed Warren was in his home office working on details of the Amityville case. The Warrens would be investigating the house a few weeks later uh, in March of 1976. Now, we've already covered the episode uh, of the Amityville Horror, so if you haven't listened, you'll want to go back. Those are episodes 10 and 11 that details the murder of the DeFeo family, which happened in the house, and then 12 and 13 detail the Amityville haunting of the Lutz family. Uh, now, Ed's office was in like a smaller building connected to the home, uh, and there was like a little enclosed passageway to get from point A to point B. While he was working, Ed heard the latch at the end of the passage snap open, followed by the sound of the door being thrown open. This was followed by the sound of three footsteps coming toward the office. Ed leaned back from his work and waited for his wife, Lorraine, to come in, assuming she was bringing him a cup of coffee. He called out to her, in here, but Lorraine never entered the room. Lorraine, he called to her again, but she didn't respond. Instead, Ed heard a howling wind like the sound of a storm brewing. He got goosebumps and called to his wife again. Lorraine, are you there? The sound of the storm grew louder and more intense, and it clicked in Ed's mind that he'd only heard three footsteps rather than the sound of someone coming all the way down the hall. Uh, It was then that the desk lamp dimmed to the light of a candle and the temperature in the room grew ice cold. The smell of sulfur filled the room. Blah! Uh, Ed reached into a desk drawer and pulled out a vial of holy water and a large wooden crucifix. He exited his office just in time to see a black, tornado-style whirlwind come out of the passageway. It stopped moving about 10 feet away from Ed to his left. As he watched, it began to shapeshift, and Ed knew he needed to take action before it manifested into something. Uh, He held the cross toward the figure and took a step in its direction, and it moved closer to him, too. Ed then threw the holy water onto the black mass in the shape of a cross and told it in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. It remained for a little longer and it gave Ed a vision of himself and Lorraine in a deadly automobile accident on a highway. Then it returned to the passageway and was gone. Ed was naturally relieved, but as he tried to regain his composure, the sounds of an animal fight erupted outside. He knew instinctually there were no animals fighting. The entity hadn't left, but instead had moved on to Lorraine. Oh, give me goosebumps. Uh, Rather than taking the passageway, Ed exited through the side door of the office and ran up the back steps of the house. In the Warren's bedroom, Lorraine was reading a book in bed when she could feel the room change. She said, quote, I was terror stricken, but I didn't know what I was afraid of. I looked around the room, but nothing was there. I then looked down at our two dogs asleep beside the bed. They were absolutely motionless, except the hair on each dog from head to tail was standing straight up in the air. Then out of nowhere, complete pandemonium started up. The entity made a loud noise that sounded to Lorraine, quote, like someone beating on sheet metal with a hammer. Following the sound, the heat was drained from the room. Then the pounding was replaced with the sound of the storm like Ed heard in his office. Lorraine heard the sound travel through the passageway, up the stairs, and through each room of the house as though it was searching for her. She said, quote, what was it? Why was it here? Then instantly, a swirling black cyclone flew into the bedroom and confronted me. I could not begin to relate the sheer, desperate terror I felt as that morbid black thing inside the whirlwind came closer and closer to me. I tried to move, but I couldn't. I tried to scream, but no words came out. I felt a sense of doom that I have never felt before. As a psychic, I knew this was a spirit of death, but it seemed to want even more than death. It wanted me, myself, my being. Then it got worse. I felt myself being drawn into that raging black thing, and there was nothing I could do to prevent it. Mechanically, I did the only thing I could think of. I called out in the name of God for protection. 
Then, somehow, I got the ability to make a cross, a great big cross, in the air between it and me. That stopped the thing, but it wouldn't go away. I didn't know what to do next. At that point, thank God, Ed came running into the house. As he did, as he did, this thing swirled into the next room, went right through the bricks and up the chimney. Then it was over. Nothing was broken. Nothing was smashed afterwards. Nevertheless, this was not our first physical encounter with an inhuman spirit. Holy crap. So let's go back. Oh, you know, a lot of what I, I'm hearing, like, is their, their ritual is very, like, Christian based mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And for us to take such things like, like what they were hunting for and exercising and whatnot seriously, I guess you would also have to have some sort of belief in that. Right. Yeah. As well. Mm-hmm. If hmm. you believe in demons then you kind of have to believe in God then, right? Well, and if you believe... They kind of go together. I don't think I put it in here, but one of the things that Ed said was that, you know, you can believe in, you know, God or not, but these things obviously do. Because if the stories that they're telling are true, these things are afraid of what they're saying about the power of God. That's what I'm saying is if you believe that demons are real and what they use to get rid of them, then... That's your proof there that then God is real. If you believe yeah. in that part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe in the energy itself, but well, about mm-hmm. Oh, this is such a fine line. Mm-hmm. My dad made the comment to me. He's like, somebody told him that if you believe in it and it's not real, you haven't lost anything. But if you don't believe in it and, and, and it is real then you stand to lose everything yeah. <clears throat> so why not just believe in it i was like well that th- that doesn't really sound like quote-unquote faith i'm like that's manipulation yep right is what that is mm-hmm. so right and i'm like so you mean to say like as well like that just because i'm a good person that means is if i haven't accepted certain saviors or this and that like i'm not going to heaven He's like, yeah. I'm like, mm. all right. That's interesting. I'm going to go to this other really cool place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think that's all. I think it's all very interesting. I believe in God. I don't believe in the other stuff. So I think it's interesting. I, I like don't... having these conversations with everyone. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, you know, you. Granted. We're taking a hard left turn, by the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> I said I literally said six, six hours. hours. I wasn't fucking joking. <laughs> it's gonna be the next seventeen episodes. Sorry, guys. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's all very interesting. Oh and, heck yes. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, I still think it's possible that you can believe in, you can believe in all of this and not necessarily believe in the religion behind it. Right. Have you, you know, guys seen the movie Everywhere? What is it? Every Everywhere? Every, Everything all, all the time? I haven't. My husband's dying to watch it. I haven't seen it. No, we no. tried to watch it the oh other night, God. and it wouldn't. The, we couldn't get into the thing or Finally, something. Finally, a movie that I'm like, <laughs> we need to watch this movie yeah. that neither of you have yeah. seen. Yeah, you yes. know what? But this, this is always This is going to be me when it's over. Hmm. Stop it. You get plenty of reactions out of me jumping up and down next to the couch scaring you. 
And then freaking what's the, what was the name of the movie? Idle Hands. Watched? I can't ever we remember. Idle Hands. You guys, that movie so was so fucking. If you don't like so Idle Hands, then just so fucking pause weird. it. Get out of okay. here. Right. Get out. So, You're on the wrong podcast. Back to what we were talking about. Ed Lorraine. Ed Lorraine. Dark spirits. We're gonna go back to the, the beginning. Lord. We're going Got back. It. Okay. Okay. So Ed Warren was born Edward Warren Miney on September seventh, nineteen twenty six. Uh, in Gerald Brittle's book, The Demonologist, which is my main source for uh, the, these two episodes, three up, whatever, how many fucking episodes we're doing. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, Ed is quoted describing his first encounter with the supernatural this way. Quote, I was five when I first realized that something unusual was going on in this world. Where we lived, we had an old spinster landlady who didn't like dogs or kids. She'd sit by the window and actually wait for you to do something. She's wrong. a witch. She's <laughs> a witch. I don't know. I'm kind of with her. Uh, when you did, she'd come flying out of the house, screaming like a mad woman. Well, about a year after she died, I was upstairs in the same house, taking off my play shoes. The sun was going down and the room was getting dark. As I sat there on the floor, the closet door opened all by itself. Inside the dark closet, I saw a dot of light about the size of a firefly. In a few seconds, the light grew to human length. Then, incredibly, the apparition of the landlady stood before me, semi-transparent, wearing what looked like some sort of shroud. She was frowning as usual, just like she looked in life. Then she vanished. Because I was only five, I didn't know if this kind of thing was natural, but I sensed it wasn't because it scared me. When I told my father, who was a Connecticut state trooper, he told me to forget what I saw and never tell anyone. Uh, well, I never told anyone, but I also never forgot what I saw. But duh. Right. <laughs> oh and my I, gosh. The, I watched a documentary as well, which the name will be here somewhere, but they... I don't remember if this part had recordings of him or not, but they talked about how, you know, the house was haunted. There were other things. It wasn't just that one instance. It yeah. Happened, it happened more than that. Um, as Ed grew up, he attended Catholic school, which had a profound effect on him. Hearing the priests and nuns speak about spirits and the devil coincided with Ed's search for an explanation to the psychic phenomena he experienced in his home. He also described dreams he had about a nun coming to speak to him. When he told his father about these dreams and described the nun, Ed's father explained that this was his aunt. Who died before Ed was born? What? Mm-hmm. So know, the dad has you know, been seeing or thoughts of like grandeur and like mm-hmm. religion are pretty, pretty up there with like schizophrenia and whatnot. Yeah, mm-hmm. could be. Uh, during one of these dreams, oh. Ed's aunt told him, "Quote: Edward, you will tell many priests the right road to go down, but you yourself will never be a priest." Of hmm. course, Ed Warren wasn't a priest, but he did work with them and consult with them on cases of the supernatural. Wow pretty crazy right that but that to me like that's the dad also must have had certain dreams or saw certain things to Mm. even if he said that to not just be like it's just a dream like we have weird dreams all the time he's like oh that's your aunt what but i don't know that happens a lot like you see stories about that kind of stuff all the time or kids saying like i was your mom you know what i mean yeah i'm not saying it it wasn't but you would think if if anthony came to me and said that my first instinct would be to be like Ah, oh, it was just a weird dream. You know, I wouldn't be like, oh, that's probably your granny. <laughs> well, but if he described granny pretty, that's I mean, because we don't know how he described so, okay, her Okay, so maybe nun, was his... I maybe guess it his, was it was a nun with a mole I, on her face. Never mind. You know it I mean? makes like, sense in my head now. If his aunt is a nun. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense now. I didn't really beep, put that all the way together. <laughs> Welcome to the show, folks. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> Uh, so Lorraine Warren was born Lorraine Rita Moran on January 31st, 1927. Lorraine was born with the gift of clairvoyance. 
Uh, I had to look that up because I didn't quite remember what all that means. So uh, the demonologist said that clairvoyance is the ability to see beyond physical time and place. And then I looked it up for a little bit further information and it said clairvoyance can be further separated into precognition or the ability to perceive or predict future events, retrocognition or the ability to see past events, and remote viewing or the ability to view things that are happening presently in other places. And as soon as I heard that, uh, Stranger Things, Eleven, when she goes into the sensory deprivation and stuff, mm-hmm. that's what kind of what remote viewing is. Not necessarily that the rain did that, but... Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Can that you really imagine? Like, that would be the most amazing and, and probably the worst thing yeah. ever. It would be pretty fucking scary. Because especially she used it in the way she did for... She saw awful things. Right. Um... So Lorraine said, quote, I didn't know I had an additional sensibility. I simply thought everyone had the same God-given sense. You know, all six of them. Well, I found out differently when I was about 12. I was attending a private all-girls school then. It was Arbor Day, and we were all on the front lawn standing in a circle around a shovel hole in the ground. Well, just as soon as they put the sapling in the ground, I saw it as a fully grown tree. You you bitches and trees, why are they everywhere? (laughs) (laughs) I looked up into its massive branches filled with leaves blowing in the wind with no idea I was experiencing second sight. The nun standing beside me prodded my arm and said in her usual stern way, Miss Moran, why are you looking up at the sky? I told her I was just looking up into the tree. Are you seeing into the future? She asked me just as sternly. Yes, I admitted. I guess I am. Well, that did it. I was immediately sent off to a retreat home for the weekend. I couldn't talk or play or do anything. Just sit there all day long in church and pray. That taught me. After that, when it came to things involving clairvoyance, I kept my mouth shut. Uh, That makes sense, especially during that time. Holy crap, because you're talking in the 30s. Yeah, and then the book didn't... I don't remember if the book went into it or if it was just... I think it was just the documentary and um, the Warren's son-in-law, Tony Sparrow, talked about it a little bit. She saw auras. So they talked Mm -hmm. about like how she Mm -hmm. talked to... I think it was one of the nuns and then the Mother Superior. She talked to them and was like, why is her... Meaning the nun, not the Mother Superior. Why is her light so much brighter than yours? Something like that, because her aura was different. Oh. So she could see people's auras. Um, okay. A team of scientists led by Dr. Thelma Moss tested Lorraine's psychic ability at UCLA in the 1970s. I'm really, really upset that I have to say the 1970s, but, you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, they found that Lorraine is a light trance medium, which means she's aware of the message that she's getting. A deep trance medium would be someone who has a spirit guide take over and afterwards they wake up, sometimes unaware of what they said or did. Uh, Lorraine's psychic ability was deemed far above average. Shut the fuck up at UCLA. At UCLA. Oh, that's so cool. I want to I want to see that. I want to listen to that. I would like them to test mine. They'd be like, you don't have any. Sorry. <laughs> you are Same. negative. You're cute. That's <laughs> Yep. Um, and so here's your TV show recommendation for the episode. You thought it was going to be The Conjuring. It's not. Uh, that's not a TV show. But anyway, it's available for purchase on Vudu. If you've never seen it, you need to watch Mama's Family. And if you have seen it, you need to watch it again. So there's an episode <laughs> where a deep trance medium comes to the house and she gives readings. And the whole family is like amazed by everything she knows. But it turns out Vinton, Mama's not so bright son, is giving her rides like picking her up and bringing her to the house and he's fucking giving her all this information and then Thelma pretends she goes in a trance and it's really funny. Oh. Um, <laughs> show's great. Episode's hilarious. Highly recommend. That's my... I thought about it immediately today. I was like, yep, that's the one. That's hilarious. <laughs> Mama's house. Mama's family. Oh, that's right. <laughs> she said, just kidding. Get out. <laughs> just kidding. I love you. 
Uh, so the Warrens began their journey together in the mid-1940s. In 1944, when Lorraine was 16, she and two of her friends decided to catch a movie at the Colonial Theater in Bridgeport, Connecticut. They walked into the theater, and on the way, one of the girls... Oh, excuse me, they walked to the theater. And on the way, one of the girls told Lorraine that there was a boy who worked as an usher there that Lorraine might be interested in. At that time, Lorraine described herself as uninterested in boys and more focused on her schoolwork. She felt that boys were too rough, oh, too rough around the edges for her. Her friends introduced her to the boy whose name was Ed. She later said she thought to herself, gee, what a nice looking young man, which is Aww. fucking so cute. I can't stand it. I don't think I've ever just thought that about oh, a boy. Oh, gee golly. Oh, golly It was golly. never my... Never my focus. Anyway, uh, after the movie, Ed offered to walk the girls home and brought and he bought them each a soda. So oh her friends my gosh. Now, Lorraine's house must have been the furthest from the theater, and she felt like it would be inappropriate for Ed to walk her home alone all of that way, uh, especially since she had come to the theater by herself. You know, she had left the house by herself, so for a boy to walk her home probably would have been pretty scandalous. Um, so she told him that she'd walk the rest of the way by herself, I guess, after they stopped you know, her friend went home. Isn't that funny? You know what? Just send her off by herself. I'd rather her walk home all alone than walk home. Meanwhile, today you'd be like, oh, you just bought sodas for me and my friends. Why don't you come on over for a minute? (laughs) Uh, Ew. (laughs) Oh, excuse me. Apparently I would. (laughs) Thanks for the soda. Bye. Bye. Ew. Um, Just kidding. Probably not. Based on the guys that have bought me drinks. Anyway uh so she said you know she she should walk the rest of the way herself and he agreed and then he ran across the street to return home lorraine later recalled quote when he ran across the street i didn't see the slender young man of 16 i psychically saw ed as a grown man a man that i would marry in fact when i returned home that evening i wrote in my diary today i met the man i'm going to marry oh real adorable so ed told the story in the documentary which i apparently forgot to put the name of here but it is it is in here we'll get there uh and his story is just a little bit different he said that lorraine used to come to the theater with her mom and one night he walked her home and asked her for a date she said yes and that's how it all began i feel like her story is closer though because your mom in 1944 is not going to be like yeah that boy can walk you home yeah no she's gonna be like "Mm, who the fuck are you get out of here so ed enlisted in the navy the day he turned 17 and he exchanged letters with Lorraine while he was away. Ed was on board a ship for four months before it collided with an oil tanker in the Atlantic. A lot of men were killed that day, but Ed survived, so he returned home on a 30-day survivor's leave. Oh, my. Wow. 30 days. 30 in the days. ocean. Right. Uh, it was during that time that he and Lorraine were married. So he was home for 30 Aww. days. They had to, like, hurry up and get married, and then they went to, like... Some other city in Connecticut for their honeymoon. Right then and there. Yeah, probably. Uh, Some other city in Connecticut for their honeymoon, and they, like, stayed at a hotel, and that was it. They came back the next day, and he had to leave again for the Navy. Um, So they were married May 22nd, 1945. In 1950, their daughter Judy was born while Ed was away with the Navy. So I guess, you know, when he was back on leave, uh, he wouldn't meet his daughter until she was six months old. When he came home from the Navy, Ed supported the family by making and selling paintings. In the beginning, the couple would find supposedly haunted houses in the newspapers or from talking to locals. They would drive to the house, and Ed would make a complete sketch of the house and the grounds. Then he would give the drawing to Lorraine, right? And these owners are inside the house. They'd hear them arrive, and they're, like, peeking out the windows, going, what the fuck are these people doing out in front of our house? Then they'd go knock on the door. I assume Lorraine, he said uh, something about with her Irish personality or something like that. So I guess, you know, she's friendly and outgoing. Um... She would go up, she would show them the sketch, and they would offer it in exchange for information about the haunting. What? 
Um, I just lost my spot. Be like, are you bribing me? <laughs> So what, I'm going to say no and just going to walk away after you right. just told me this motherfucker's so haunted? Like, What's your definition no, of No, they, they'd well, look like in the news and stuff for stories about haunted watch. houses oh, and okay. they'd go ask them. Oh, okay, I'm going to okay. give you this sketch that I just made of your house and you tell me okay. the stories about it. Got it. Um... So they, the Warrens did this for five years, traveling the country, creating sketches and paintings, and investigating the paranormal. Oh, sorry. Oh, imagine having I, one of those paintings. I missed this oh, part. They you said seen the paintings? I don't think they showed any paintings. Oh, uh, they said if the story amazing. was good enough, they would paint a picture of the house and sell it later at an art show. So sorry. So they do the sketch, give it to the family, get the story, and then if the story was good, they'd make the painting. Oh, yeah. So they're out there. Mm-hmm. Someone. He's like, I'm Just looking it up. Send it to us. We're going to have a P.O. box here in about three minutes. So Yes. Uh, okay, so for her part, Lorraine thought these homeowners had overactive imaginations or they were seeking attention. So even though she had her gift, she still was skeptical of the paranormal. Um, and it, that partly because her background didn't include hauntings and ghosts. Right. You know, it didn't really work that way. So as time went on, Lorraine became convinced that these paranormal events were real. In 1952, the couple opened the New England Society for Psychic Research, one of the oldest ghost hunting organizations in America. Amazing. Okay. So now we're going to get into cases. In 1970, also listed as 1960. Okay, and they got married in 1945, you said? Yes. So it's been 25 years. Yep, that's awesome. Katie's showing me a picture. We'll put that in the show notes or something, one of those. That's pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, so okay, so 1970, or I said 1968. So, so it's been 25, 20, 25 years that they've been married before the first big case happens, is what yes. is, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's been a hot minute. Yeah. Yeah, it's not yeah. right away. Okay. But they had other cases. This is just the big well-known right, case. Right, right. So the Warrens would receive at this point their, what I think was their first well-known case, when a mother purchased a Raggedy Ann doll for her 28-year-old daughter Donna's birthday. Oof. Raggedy Andal for a twenty-eight-year-old. I mean, my Maybe sister she collected dolls. really That's likes weird. Rainbow Bright. Remember when I did her birthday party? It was all Rainbow Bright stuff, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's cute. People like to give sentimental gifts. Katie's like, I'm not sentimental, bitch. Oh, she is too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, within just a few days, Donna and her roommate noticed that the doll had started changing positions on its own. Nope. And as time progressed, the doll's movements became more obvious, even switching rooms when no one was home. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> After about a month, the women were finding messages written in a child's handwriting on parchment paper, Hell which they no. didn't even have in the apartment. So it's not like it's just picking up the paper off the desk. There's just new paper showing up. Nope. Um... When Donna came home to find what looked like blood on the doll's hands and chest, the women decided it was time to get help. What? Mm-hmm. They contacted a medium who came to the house and told them that the doll was being moved by the spirit of a little girl named Annabelle Higgins. Oh. Why did I not even think about that? I didn't realize she was a raggedy. Uh, I don't know yeah. about anything yeah. about that. Well, because they made her together. super scary yeah. for the movie. Yeah. She was just a fucking raggedy. I feel like she would have been I mean, better. She was, yeah, she's I'm thinking still... a fucking raggedy and doll would be way oh, more terrifying. She's nice and creepy. And she could have, like, drawn on herself Ew. to make it, like, whoa. Ew. You guys <laughs> fucked it up. Should have made it a raggedy yeah. and doll. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, these are cute. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandma still has unopened, like original cabbage patch dolls in the oh boxes my at her house. Gosh, can you imagine the smell when you open that thing? It's oh. like, ah! that's what it Baby would smell like. Ancient. It will smell ancient. Ancient. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was still not like baby powder. Uh, Annabelle had lived on the property before the apartments were built and wanted to stay there with the women. Donna felt empathy for the spirit and said it would be okay for her to stay. Oof. All Bad right. move, Donna. Well, uh, this yeah, turned out to be a blood. mistake. I was okay until the blood. Right. She's like, I just had a nosebleed. It's fine. Um, uh, the entity went on to attack a friend of the women. Oof. I didn't go into big detail about it, but it attacked him. She was jealous. <clears throat> now, they realized this wasn't a kind spirit they were dealing with, obviously, and they contacted an Episcopal priest who turned the matter over to the Warrens. The Warrens spoke with Donna and knew that spirits don't possess inanimate objects, but they can attach themselves to items or places. Hmm. They believed this was the case with the Annabelle doll, and they knew that the inhuman spirit's goal was to possess a human host, because that's kind of their thing, if they're real. Hmm. As they had a priest perform an exorcism blessing in the apartment, which was described by Ed Warren this way, quote, the Episcopal blessing of the home is a wordy seven page document that is distinctly positive in nature. Rather than specifically expelling evil entities from the dwelling, the emphasis is instead directed toward filling the home with the power of the positive and of God. Donna requested that the Warrens remove Annabelle from the home and they agreed. She was taken to the Warrens home and I didn't put it in here, but all, like on the way, they were like having trouble with the car and almost got into accidents. And obviously, all of this was attributed to the doll and her influence. Or, well, not her, but the spirit or whatever. Um, there at the home, the Warrens said they saw her levitate and move from room to room. Wow. According to the Warrens, Annabelle even caused a near-fatal car accident for a clergyman that visited the home and spoke to her mockingly. After this, a special case was built for Annabelle, and it was placed inside the Warren's Occult Museum, which has since closed. Like the escape room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did an Annabelle escape room. We and did. It was, it was the best. Terrifying. If you guys like escape rooms and you're in the area, Deadlock Escape. Oh, they're so good. They're so good. SDL Escape, too. Mm-hmm. SDL Escape's mm-hmm. real good, too. But Annabelle was at Deadlock. It's my favorite one. Was it the cellar? Oh, yeah. That was a good one. Oh, got actually the locked one I up. I did with you guys. Oh. I think. No, it was no. Annabelle. Oh, Annabelle was, Annabelle was our first. Yep. That was the first one we did at SDL Escape. Yeah, and yeah. we did three of them. So and we did three that day. Yeah. Good. What a good day. <laughs> <laughs> we like escape rooms, you guys. Um, we took a little break for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we've done most of them we're gonna have to travel <laughs> That's now true. Yeah. uh okay so while there a young man visiting the museum tapped on the case and he taunted annabelle um yeah uh, no why the fuck would you do that not very smart uh ed warren asked him and his girlfriend to leave the museum sure and on the motorcycle ride home they were in a serious accident oh. the man was killed <gasps> and his girlfriend was hospitalized for over a year um yeah. When asked what had happened, she said they were laughing about the doll when her boyfriend lost control of his motorcycle. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. <laughs> that was when we need to have cameras. We're both just like, Bum. they can't see you either. <laughs> I know. I was showing you the faces. You guys were showing me. Let me show you your face. I know they can't see it. That no. Mm. I you oh my gosh I would be so scared the rest of my life right <laughs> the rest of my life the rest of yeah, your life just it, like no that means there's just spirits all around us all the time oh my god that, what was that movie Final Destination <gasps> that's some Final Destination shit right there yeah mm-hmm. uh, they fucking drove behind the log truck nope I nobody does that now I was behind what was up there I was just like everyone needs to get the fuck out of my way so I can get okay we're gonna we're going off topic still but I have to did you see that video of that Kia that hit. The tire popped off of a truck yes. on the highway and just yes. at the same impact this yes. kid comes. So it literally flew through the air and like flipped over. I was like, air. Ah! 
they were they were okay. And then the tire rolls back and hits its rear bumper, like just to add insult to injury. Shit. Yeah. Insult. Yeah, insult to injury. Okay. Yeah, I think that's right. Where was I? Okay, so this story was on the New England Society for Psychic Research's website, but I couldn't find anything to like prove it was true, like yeah. an interview or anything like that. So that's what's there. Uh, in the Growing Up a Warren featurette for the 2019 movie Annabelle Comes Home, the Warren's daughter says of the Annabelle doll, quote, my parents always told me, don't give it recognition, don't look it in the eyes. And to this day, I don't look it in the eyes. Oh, nope. That, nope, I, nope. nope, I'll do that too. Nope, 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 nope. In 1971, Ed was contacted by a family that believed their son was a victim of demonic possession. So this was just like a random little short story that was in there in the book. Uh, he had been diagnosed with schizophrenia, and he'd been in a mental hospital for eight years. Whoa. Ed went with the family to visit the son, and he walked up behind him with a cross that he'd brought to the hospital. Without ever seeing the cross, Ed said that the boy swung around with wide, hate-filled eyes. Ed went through a lot of trouble getting an exorcist assigned to the case. The exorcism was performed, and after the boy, afterward, the boy was completely fine. All Why signs. Do you think they had trouble finding an exorcist. I, I think it's. I don't think it's super easy to get just exorcisms hello. performed. Doesn't sound like just from you know the little bit of stories I was able to read and stuff. Damn, it's like trying to get a dry erase board put up in a hospital. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and you would think too, because who you're going to? I mean, you're going to priests and things. You believe that this is real? You think it would be easier to get something like that? But I have read that before. You got to go through like several steps and mm-hmm. all this stuff before they'll step in. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So they said that after the action was performed, the boy was completely fine. All signs of mental illness or possession were completely gone. Ed said, quote, whether that boy's condition was mental illness or possession, as I contend, the fact remains that exorcism cured his problem. Whoa. Hmm. And that's so much of it. It doesn't really matter. Right. There's no further information. So obviously I don't know who it was or anything like that. Again, no way to prove that. But that would be. It's there. So freaking bananas. Um, In October of 1972, before a planned lecture at the United States Military Academy, also known as West Point, the Warrens received a call from a West Point officer telling them that something strange had occurred and asking if they would be willing to help in a professional capacity before their lecture. The officer was very vague about what was happening, but the Warrens agreed to help, and the officer told them he would send a car for them the following day at 3 p.m. The next day, a black limousine with government plates picked up the Warrens and carried them to West Point. They were traveling in a fucking style. Uh, there they were taken to the office of Major Donald Wilson. The evening's itinerary included their lecture at 8 and then dinner with the facility's officers at 6. Major Wilson proceeded to tell the Warrens that before dinner, their help was needed with an unaccountable breach of security. Seems very strange that you're at West Point and you're being asked to help with fucking security. I'd be like, okay, I think you've you've missed what my fucking thing is. Um, when Ed asked for the nature of this breach, Mayor Wilson wrote, ma- excuse me, Major Wilson replied, quote, there's a ghost in the officer's quarters. <laughs> oh, like, oh. There's a ghost in the officer's quarters. <laughs> the Warrens were taken to the Thayer home, uh, where they were given further details about the strange occurrences, which included a private study in the basement that was kept locked, but the bedding on the bunk would be messed up after no one had been in there. Uh, ghosts have been seen moving around upstairs and personal belongings would disappear temporarily. Now, of course, 
these are relatively minor occurrences until I put them in perspective for you. You see, government and army leaders were regularly brought into the officers' quarters. And wallets, money, and personal mementos had been taken from dignitaries and their wives straight out of their pockets. And then the stolen items would later be found upstairs, neatly laid out on the dresser in the master bedroom. So I don't think I need to explain why that's a fucking problem. And that's the bedroom that was locked, right? No, that was in the basement. So literally, it'd be upstairs in a bedroom somewhere, all these wallets and shit are showing up of dignitaries. Was that someone's room? I don't know. It didn't say that. It just said upstairs. I assume it was... Whoever's in charge of this operation is just like, uh... I need to do some ghosts. We're going to blame it on ghosts. (laughs) All right, we're going to get some exorcists in here. Yeah, we're going to call the Warrens. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, You guys play along. (laughs) So when asked if he thought this sounded like the mischievous work of a ghost, Ed said he thought so. Uh, The officer then asked if the Warrens would be able to tell if there was a ghost in the house stealing wallets. Lorraine responded, quote, sir, I'm a clairvoyant. The best thing would be for us to walk the house. This would allow me to determine if, in fact, a spirit is causing the disturbance. It's the best test. Mm-hmm. Everyone agreed. Okay. Snap. <laughs> she was pretty, pretty cute. Um, Spicy nice. She was. She was very sweet, but she was also, like, firm about things. Like, if you watched her, like, on TV show and stuff, she was pretty, she's pretty cute. Uh, So everyone agreed, and Major Wilson took Ed to the basement while the officer and his wife stayed with Lorraine on the main floor. In the basement, the bedding was torn up as though someone had slept there, but nothing else was disturbed. Why did they take Lorraine down there? So she does something a little bit different, so I guess they were um, having her look in her way, and he was looking in his way, maybe? Okay. I don't know. They didn't say that in the book. Uh, So the the men next went to the kitchen after they saw the basement where Ed was shown a cutting board that got wet every afternoon, seemingly by itself. Huh. Okay. Nope. You and me both cutting board. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. But uh, Never have to say you're sorry here. Um, All right. I almost just blurred something out about the person we've been talking to. I guess I shouldn't do that. Whoa. Don't do it. Uh, no slippage a story that the person anyway um, Lorraine didn't find much on the first floor though in one of the back bedrooms she noted that John Kennedy stayed there whenever he visited quote the vibrations in here are truly beautiful she said the officer's wife confirmed this stating this was the president's bedroom he couldn't climb the stairs because of his back I'm pretty sure that's probably not public knowledge right you probably wouldn't they probably wouldn't everybody probably wouldn't know where president kennedy oh stayed. that's true yeah you know something that she could just be like oh, blah, blah, blah. um when the group moved to the second floor lorraine noted that an elderly elderly woman spent a long time in one of the bedrooms quote the woman would often stand by that open veranda and look out to a field this was a very wise woman who shared a burden with a man in her life she counseled him but the woman was not her husband she was told that the man was Douglas MacArthur and the woman was his mother, who had stayed in that very room when her son was superintendent of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. So again, how in the fuck would she know any of that? Wow. And you you would just be like, increasingly just be like, holy shit. I'm in the presence of something. <laughs> uh, the group found no indication of a mischievous spirit and Lorraine agreed to come back after the lecture and go into a trance to try to find the culprit. So I think, you know, there thought process is probably that if it was something worse than just a ghost shit's gonna be going crazy um and then obviously they're at least willing to see if it's a ghost yeah 
um, I did most of the stuff I saw said that they weren't, they wouldn't just jump in and go, oh yeah, it's a ghost. Let's do something about it. They were, they would try to like debunk things and try to prove that it wasn't something. And then once they figured that it was something, that's when they would, you know, try to fix it. So when they returned to the Thayer house after dinner and everything, Lorraine felt the best place to communicate was Mrs. MacArthur's bedroom. I don't know why. The group went to the room and while Lorraine sat on the bed, everyone else sat on the floor. The lights were shut off except for one and Lorraine closed her eyes. She said, quote, I see a black man approaching. He's wearing a dark uniform with no braid or decoration. This man is with us now. This man is overtaken with a sense of fear, guilt, and lack of acceptance. He feels very sorry for something. He's speaking to me now. He tells me that he has been accused of murder. His cell is in the basement, but the army has ex exonerated him of that murder. He is very, very sorry, and he cannot hold his sorrow any longer. This is why he has been taking wallets. He wants the army to know his sorrow. So I guess he's trying to get attention by taking the wallets and stuff, I guess, is, was the point of that. Lorraine asked the man for his name, which he told her was Greer. She asked him the date, and he told her it was the early 1800s. She told Greer, listen to me, Mr. Greer. Your sorrow is understood by the army, but it is only proper that your sorrow be over. There is nothing we can do for you. You are holding yourself back. You must exonerate yourself. Enough time has passed. It is now the 20th century. This is the 1970s. You do not understand the present day. Each time you take belongings from an important person, you put the army in a very dangerous position. To the group, she said, he tells me that he has no more need to do this. He feels confused. He wants to come back to life. Ed could tell that Lorraine was coming out of the trance and he told her to stay with Greer and try to send him on. Lorraine told the man, to live again, Mr. Greer, you must go to the light. It is time for you to surrender yourself and begin again. Everyone must do that. Focus on the light and step toward it. Go to your friends and family. Go home to the light, Mr. Greer. Focus on the light and be drawn toward it. Lorraine jerked awake suddenly and told the group that Greer was gone. After the group left, the officer and his wife returned. The officer told Lorraine that no black man had served at West Point until the 20th century. But a few weeks later... Ed and Lorraine received a call from West Point. The records had been searched, and it turned out that a black man by the name of Greer had served at West Point. Or had served at West Point. In the early 19th century, he'd been accused of murder, but the army had exonerated him. At the end of the call, they were asked if, when they came to lecture again, they could help with the ghost of a Civil War cavalryman who refused to leave one of the dorms. Oh and that actually pulled up what I searched for it, like newspaper articles about that, about the, sec the second story came up, and there was other stuff about that as well. Um, when I looked online, like when I searched for this, try to get information, there were other stories about it from like different websites and stuff that had a little bit different of a story about Greer. So none of it is documents. It's them saying it, you know, I, and I know that the person who wrote the book, I think, I, at least I think that they got to look through their notes and stuff, their case files. So I don't know if that was all the information from the case file. I don't know what they had as proof, but again, there's the story. What do you guys think about that? That's pretty bananas. Oh, yeah. I would be freaking out. Probably after the first oh one, but right. definitely after the second one that she got, I'd be like, okay. Right? Something's happening. I believe I you. 100% the military will deny all that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sure. Um, a couple of years later, in 1974, the Beckford family would come under what was described in Gerald Brittles, the de demonologist, as, quote, perhaps the worst case of diabolical attack the Warrens have ever experienced. That's the one the Patreon's going to get to hear, right? That is what the patrons are going to hear. Um, if you want more information on it, you can check out Brittles' book. I, when I searched for it, I didn't really find much information online. Um, 
or as I've mentioned, we'll be covering that for our patrons. So, and you guys may already have it available. So you may have already even heard the story because, you know, right now we're a week or two out. So I'm not sure. Or a week. I don't know what fucking day it is. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> on to the next story. So on Sunday, November 24th of 1974. Okay. Sorry, scooting my chair and fucking banging the table all around. Sorry, guys. Um, the Warrens were contacted by their friend, Mary Pascarella, a psychic medium, and at that time, the director of the Psychic Research Institute in Hamden, Connecticut. Now, um, yeah, this is a different case. So Mary Pascarella, we talked about on the Amityville case. She's one one of the people that went in with them after the fact to um, see what was happening. In okay. House. So, and we'll mention, we'll mention that again here in a little bit, but... Uh, so Mary sounded desperate when she called and told Ed he had to meet her at the home of the Gooden family on Lindley Street in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Now this one, I just got this information on this one today from this documentary. Oh, I'm going to say the name here in a minute. Um, it was not in the book, so but it was too good to skip over. So the Gooden family, which consisted of Jerry, Laura, and their 10-year-old daughter, Marsha, had fallen victim to a poltergeist. The Warrens Marcia. came to the home. Huh? Marsha. Marsha. <laughs> so the warrens came to the home right away with a priest and the priest's assistant in tow in the documentary devil's road the true story of ed and lorraine warren ed says that he encountered the home and saw not only the family but also firemen and neighbors Shit. Now, according to ed things had been smashed off of the walls furniture had been knocked over and it looked like someone had gone through the house with a baseball bat lorraine said that when the priest entered the house every single one of the police officers asked for his blessing because they were that frightened. There are even recordings of his interviews played in the documentary. So there are recordings of these officers of the stuff I'm going to tell you. You can hear these officers answering these questions. You can hear all these people saying things about what's going on in this house. Right. Um, an officer, Tomic, said, or Tomic, says that when they arrived at the house, the house was a mess. He says in no uncertain terms that they observed items lifting off shelves and falling to the ground. They saw furniture move on its own as well. No. These officers are saying that? This is that? a police officer. Oh. Hear his voice. Um, he says some things would happen while their backs were turned and his words were within a split second. Ed asks him, but in your opinion, no one could have moved this? The officer responds with a simple no. Oh. An officer, Carl John Leonzi, says that he saw the Gooden's daughter fly back those are his words into the recliner three times and saw a picture fall off of the wall that's so crazy you said that and then katie just moved her chair and it made this picture fall <laughs> over here over. spooky wookie. get out uh ed says that while he was standing in the kitchen he noticed movement out of the corner of his eye a set of melmac dishes which was a popular brand of melamine plates at the time uh, flew across the room and hit the floor. He also says that a plastic crucifix hanging on the wall, quote, just burst. <laughs> oh, probably not a good sign. I'd be like, I'm well, shit. fucking out. <laughs> um, Ed asked the family that what had started the activity, and they told him the night before, Jerry had been in the kitchen and Laura had been bringing in the groceries. When the table lifted by itself, throwing the groceries all, groceries all over the kitchen. <gasps> Rude. Right? We just bought these groceries. It's definitely in. male. This is not a woman. Yeah. woman wouldn't do that. Um, That's some bullshit. Then dishes and knives were flying through the air again on their own. Oh, no. Yeah. Or whatever it is. I don't know. 
the narrator in Devil's Road says that the Goodens admitted to, quote, being confused, but not overly concerned. I don't. Shit. What? I don't even begin to know how to unpack no. that. No. Oh, it just no. starts silly go. Oh, right. that's so weird. There's only knives floating through the kitchen. Right. It's not a big deal. Yeah, it's okay. My husband does They're that all the time, right, honey? Yeah. No. Uh, oh. Reminds me of a lot of rascals. You know, like uh, the He-Man woman haters party. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, it's gross. I won't start quoting it, but I could. You absolutely could. I, I love absolutely. that movie so much. Dear Darla. Um, you make me sick. <laughs> you are the scum between my toes. <laughs> love, Alpha. 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 Uh, he says they cleaned up and they just kind of hoped it wouldn't happen again. All right. <laughs> I don't think that's what I'm going to do, but nope. okay. Definitely not. I don't even believe in it. And I'd be like, that fuck. no. paranormal all activity right. written all the fuck over it. Right? Mm-hmm. Everything's just moving and you're like, that's fine. It's yeah. definitely fine. It's fine. It's Although fine. my brother would definitely do that. He'd be like, it's fine. That, that never was, happened. There was an earthquake. It's that was not. just, they said, that didn't happen. It, yeah, that was an earthquake. Looking at you, squeak. Um, <laughs> all of my brothers probably actually would do the same thing. They'd be like, I didn't have There's no such thing as cross path. <laughs> um, and I'd be like, bye. Uh, so when you say only the Holy Ghost. Right. <laughs> so he says they cleaned up, hoped it wouldn't happen again. Jerry woke up at eight the next morning and he heard a commotion in the other room. He got up and followed the sound to an overturned end table. While there, another table lifted up on its own and dropped to the floor. So he goes in to tell his wife about the tables and she's on her way to tell him at the same time that in another room, their three recliners are opening and closing by themselves. Oh, <laughs> Fuck. No. <laughs> nope. Now, what the heck? They probably weren't too concerned at that point still, right? This is fine. You know, it's fine. It's, it's just, it's just the side tables. It's the I wind. Like the reader's digest in there, really. It's okay. She's like, it's, it's fine. Okay. I didn't really like that table or those recliners no. anyway. You're the one who had, no. had to get the recliners. You to sit on those. It's fine. They could be decoration. It's just, you know, we, we can give those to, to your mom. <laughs> That's like she always loved that one of our listeners who she has like a sitting room right off of her kitchen and it's fucking incredible and she's just got four giant just cushiony lazy boys that spin and it's like this big open window with trees. Oh, it's her, it's yes. her conversation area. Yes. Mm-hmm. Why haven't I been to her house? Yeah. Rude. Oh, okay. Okay. We're coming for you. That's yeah. it. We're on our way to your house she right may, now. I think she may be. Did she, is she going to host a bunko? <gasps> oh, yeah. Well, I'm sitting there. Well, get there early, I guess. Seats taken. <laughs> Dibs. Just so all the bunko ladies know, we're all going to be sitting in those chairs Dibs. when that person's house We're going to have to set timers. Yeah. Like oh, okay. All right. Yeah, timers my that. ass. We're going to get there first and everyone else can go fuck themselves. <laughs> Oh, I'm just kidding. That's, that's never, how you really feel. I, would, I actually really feel like I probably would tell somebody else to sit in the chair. It probably sounds like, a lot I feel more so like bad. Me. You can have the chair. I would be like, I'm I'll not, go there. I'm not gonna sit there. Bartlett, baby, you sit here. You just sit right here. Bartlett. That's what I would oh, do. Bartlett. I'll stand, baby. It's fine. I'll stand, baby. That sounds more like me than for go you. fuck yourself, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah. yeah. It does. It does. <clears throat> but I like to play tough sometimes. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, but probably not with the Bunko girls. There are some people, you know what, anyway. All um, right. Let's not get started. Uh, so at that point, the Goodens call their neighbor, off-duty police officer John Holsworth. Okay. His daughter answers the phone and relays the message to John. The Goodens are having an emergency and could he go help? I was going to say, what did you tell her? 
I don't, <laughs> um, could you tell your dad that shit's flipping upside down by itself? The because number hurry up and come people over. that are experiencing these things and are like, I'm going to call the cops. Okay. What is the fucking cops going to do? Well, who else do you call? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the Warrens. Well, now you don't. Now I guess you call na, 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 na. People. But they got to make travel arrangements. If you live across the country, they got to fly. I mean, Ian, it's like it just it. happened. If you, you have somebody that lives right next door. Okay, so yeah, I can kind of get it. You're like, they oh, also, you can. They also may not know who the Warrens are at this point. Yeah. It's not like this is, you know, today when everybody knows who they are and they're dead. But, you know, this is this is the 70s. Oh, wow. So I don't think they're quite as as big as they yeah. are later. Um, so uh, Ed, oh, so excuse me, John arrives to find the Goodens on their porch in hysterics. Yeah. Naturally. He's got some possessed ass recliners. Right. So, uh, again, in the documentary, they play a tape of Ed asking him if he saw anything move on its own in the house. And he said he saw the ice box and the TV move and saw the recliners open and close. Mm-mm. The police came next. And when they didn't know how to stop it, they called the fire department. So the police came and this was still happening. Yes. Yes. So I said, you know, I, the police were talking. The fire department. <laughs> yeah. When the fire department came, they also didn't know what to do. According to William J. Hall, author of the book, The World's Most Haunted House, the fire, he's in the documentary. I didn't read that book yet. Uh, the fire department's public statement was that they aren't very good at fighting devils. Okay. That's honest. Uh, City engineer Charlie Rader gave a statement that they went to the house, I guess some engineers, I don't know, city engineers, uh, and they went to see if something was going on with the gas or the electrical service. Right. Is everybody just high as hell right causing now? the activity? As soon as you walk in here, you're just fucked up. And right. Like, oh, yeah, I see it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Look at those recliners. They're just opening and shutting all on their own. All right. So he said they... The electric or the gas. Yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? It's the strobe lights. Yeah. Uh, it just yeah. opens the recliner. The gas is off. Yeah. The recliners aren't moving. You're having a seizure. That's yeah. you. Sorry. Um... So he, so this Charlie Rader said that they witnessed the fridge move across the kitchen floor and, by itself. And at that point, the police made them leave. And I'm sure the police didn't have to try very hard to make them leave. They were like, bye. No. They were like, oh, no, we really can't leave. The door slammed shut behind them. Um, so words sped, spread quickly about the poltergeist on Lindley Street. Crowds formed outside. And I'm not totally sure if the footage in the documentary is from the actual event. But if it is, there's like literally a crowd of people and fucking cars driving by. Like, I guess, looking across from across the street, like, what the fuck's happening over there? Because it's word spreading so quickly. Oh, I'm looking. Hollywood no, be still I'm like, I don't even, I don't even look through my blinds. I'm just going to go straight out on my porch. Hollywood just open the door and fucking wave. walk hey. inside. Yep. What's up? I wouldn't. I'd be like, hey, Holly, tell me what happens. <laughs> yeah. nope, I'm going to take a picture over here from the window. <laughs> <laughs> I guess holler if you need me. Holler if you need me. <laughs> I'm the person who just assumes you need me. Just let me just come over here and help you out. You, you are. Yeah. And it's true. Uh, Ed is quickly convinced that this is real and he asks the, pre- the priest to perform a house blessing. So everything goes okay until they try to bless the basement. Uh oh. It's always the basement. It's always the basement. So the priest says. You know what this sounds like? This sounds like the Ryan Reynolds. Amityville? Yeah. Okay, yep. Okay. Sorry, proceed. Although Amityville, there's almost no um, proof of. The basement part? Yeah. Yeah. And the basement part's not not real, right? I don't think so. I oh, yeah. I think that we, we talked, yeah. 
Um, Sorry, guys. It's been a long time. It's been a minute. We've talked about that. We've talked about a lot of shit in between. Uh, So the priest says he saw a black shadow. He looked away, and when he looked back, it was more defined, and then it vanished. That's all it said, so I'm not sure what else the problem was when he was trying to do it down there, or if they were just saying, you know, because he saw something. That's what made it different. So upstairs, the priest's assistant, Paul, is sitting at the table with Lorraine. I tried not to add names of everybody because obviously we're talking about a lot of people, but sometimes I was like, okay, I can't say priest's assistant 72 times in two paragraphs. So. Paul. Paul. Uh, so he's sitting with Lorraine at the table. So suddenly Lorraine yelps and a blister forms on her hand. What? Well, ain't that some shit. When they told Ed, he told Lorraine to get out of the house. He was like, you need to, you need to get out of here. You got to go. It seemed like he was very protective over her. You know, if something was happening and I don't, I don't know if that was because, you know, she's his wife obviously and he loves her or if it's because he didn't want to let with things her, out with her being able Yeah, to... with her being a, a medium, you know, that she's more susceptible to yeah. activity if the activity is real. So, um, I keep losing my place. Uh, 21-year-old Paul stayed behind to keep watch over the Gooden family while Ed and the priest took Lorraine out of there. So He's like, I got it. Poor little 21-year-old. They're like, here you go. Have fun. Oh, you want me to help take... Okay, yeah. (laughs) Anybody want a sandwich? Um, I do, yeah. (laughs) 21-year-old boy making sandwiches? In the 70s? (laughs) That's true. He'd have been like, hey, Laura, can you go make me a sandwich? Make one for everybody while you're in there. Um, Nothing against Paul. I'm sure Paul's a great guy, but... (laughs) <laughs> he's like i would never uh so it, so he's supposed to keep keep watching over the family especially marcia the 10 year old who ed believed was the center of the activity mm. that's even scarier right you're like okay no problem i'll watch her i feel like it's almost always a kid yeah it's, it's usually not an adult which i guess kind of yeah. makes sense because it kids does are right oh yeah dumb shit mm-hmm. you say kids are the worst <laughs> <laughs> I was like, she's going to say kids are susceptible. She's like, kids are the worst. worst. Kids are the most open also. And and the worst. Um, So the next night, Paul was playing a game with Marsha. We noticed a strange smell that he described as an ozone smell. I don't really know what that means. Um, He noticed that the air in the kitchen was now a gauzy white color. He picked up his prayer book and started reading a hymn to the glory of Christ. The mist then separated into four separate shapes. He got up and like went and like pushed against them. And they pushed back. Oh. What? Yeah. So he got like mad and he was obviously afraid because he, he knows. He was mad? He got mad because he knows the things after the 10 year old. So he's sitting with her at the table and he starts to get pissed off that this is after him. Also, these things can fuck with your emotions and stuff too, mm-hmm. I think. So that's probably part of it. Um, again, if they're real. I'm not saying I believe in that. But, um uh, he was angry and fearful because he knew it wanted Marsha. It moved around him, picked her up, and threw her. Oh. In that moment, Paul realized that it was feeding off of his energy because he's pissed because it's attacking this family. So he got so concerned about it that he made the family get out of the house. He said that the house felt like it was going to explode. Oh, So my he was, God. like, very concerned about what was happening and what was building up in the house. At this point, the Warrens, I guess he contacted the Warrens. They tend to, even if they leave for some reason, they tend to stay in pretty good contact, it seems like, with the people who are in the house. And they never will just leave the family alone. They'll have someone stay. They'll call a priest, have a priest there if they have to go or whatever else. Because they do have other cases. They do still have lives. Um, I don't know how with this many cases, but... Um, the So the Warrens begin the process of having an exorcism performed on the house. But the next morning... Police Superintendent Joseph Walsh declared the haunting a hoax and put all of the blame on 10-year-old Marsha Gooden. Oh. 
Whoa. After all those people in there. After all those people. What? He said Marsha admitted that since the Friday prior, she'd been pounding on the walls and knocking pictures down. Uh, Ed Warren discusses the ridiculousness of this claim in the Devil's Road documentary, stating, quote, a 90-pound, 10-year-old child could move a 450-pound refrigerator two feet away from us, and we wouldn't see how she did it? Right. Uh, Ed also made the point that Walsh not only made fools out of the Gooden family and the Warrens, but also out of his own officers, who had spoken with the media about the things they witnessed in the house. Two months later, the police department allowed a parapsychology group to perform recorded interviews with officers. So I just have a couple, you know, they only shared a couple of the quotes in the documentary. But reporter Tim Quinn said, Marcy, she, Marcy, I mean, I think Marcia, little girl, she was standing and she went straight back. It's almost like if somebody had a rope and yanked it. Fire Chief Jack Messina said, for, for just no apparent reason, that chair flipped. Susan Hosworth, the wife of one of the police officers, said, that television is what stuck with me. When you saw that go over, it was like, holy caroli. It just kind of raised the hair on your neck. Because it's one of those big, giant televisions. Uh, yeah, right. 500 oh. pounds. <laughs> the furniture ones. And that many people. That's a lot of people to, mm-hmm. to see shit. So what and happened? Then, oh, hold on, I got that one. police super, superintendent hold on, I got one more quote. made him want to deny all of it. There had to be something. Some, he, like he had been coerced or something. Something. Or, I mean, or he yeah. just didn't believe it. He didn't go in the house. And he was just like, this is fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We're not doing this. Drop it or everyone dies. Yeah. Um, Assistant Fire Chief Paul McKenna said, one good thing about this, you know, you'll never see it again, probably in your life. That's the funny part of it. But I feel like once you saw it, I feel like, great, now I'm going to see it all the time. Now they they know. Um, Oh, man. Okay, I think we can go a little bit longer because we're only at about an hour. So Um, in February of 1976, as I've already mentioned, the warrant. So that was all said about that. Sorry about that case uh, in the documentary. An exorcism was never performed. Um, there is a longer book about it. And I would assume that probably goes into more detail. I haven't read and it yet. But exorcism was never performed. Never performed. And I gotta know. I gotta know if like everything just stopped then. There's a lot of information on that case. Like I say, I just found it today. What? So because that little girl said she pounded on the walls a little bit. Like, wh- well, but that's what they said. We don't even know if she really said that or if he's just saying it. You know, right? And even if she pounded on the walls, she might just remember that part of it you right. know while this is happening to her okay. or you know if the noise was happening she may have been doing it back mm-hmm. hmm. interesting interesting i'm gonna need more yeah i need um, more information oh maybe we'll just have to cover this that one in its own episode that just oh. instilled so much fear in so many adults right that's fucking bananas yeah that's i mean a, i don't know that's, that's what a, happened in salem right that's so true a oh couple my little God. girls that right? You're so right. I mean, I they have didn't two even daughters. do shit. They can not yeah. even close to this kind of shit. Did right. they do that? Right. And they got fucking burned at the stake. Yep. They got other people burned at the stake, but. Oh. Yeah. Goddamn. Shoot. I have daughters. I can see Shoot. it. Shoot. Girls are. Sheesh. Anyway. Um, Whatever the kids say these days. Right. <laughs> We're hip. <laughs> We're hip. We're cool. Listen to the mommy's podcast. <laughs> uh okay you can use that for advertisements by the way oh that's perfect yep. that should be our new, our James, new commercial we're, we're cool. cool copy that listen to the mommy's podcast <laughs> make that into a an ad make somebody else pay for it okay thanks. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah duh 
Uh, in February of 1976, as I've already mentioned, the Warrens were contacted by a New York City television producer. The woman asked if they had time to investigate a so-called haunted house on Long Island. Lorraine asked for more details and was told the stories of the DeFeo and Lutz families, which go back and listen if you haven't yet. The producer explained to Lorraine that her station was covering the work of parapsychologists and psychic researchers that were investigating the house. The Warrens agreed to investigate before traveling to Long Island to meet with George and Kathy Lutz. The Lutzes refused to go back into the home, requiring the Warrens to meet them elsewhere to pick up the key to the house. According to Lorraine, the Lutzes were not interviewed at that time because they didn't want to prejudice their investigation, but they were asked a few questions to test their sincerity. Now, I don't know what all of these questions were, but the demonologist says that Ed asked George what he saw in that house, and George responded, Mr. Warren, you know what I saw. Oh. The Warrens were satisfied with the Lutz's answers, whatever they were, and agreed to go to the house, and George asked them while they were there if they would bring him back the deed, because he was not fucking stepping foot in the house again, and he wanted to get rid of it. Hmm. Now, Lorraine said that the Warrens first walked around the outside, then they walked each floor of the home together. She noted that the house appeared to have been hastily vacated. Newspapers from the month prior were still lying around on the tables. The cupboards, fridge, and freezer were all stocked with food. Laundry was folded on top of the dryer, ready to be put away. The closets were full of clothes. Even the family photo albums had been left behind. Oh, imagine. I'm just like, leave fucking everything. No, I would never. So I can't, like... To me, it makes me think it's got to fucking be real. Who would leave all your shit like that? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't leave my grandma's pictures, much less my fucking pictures in a house like that. No fucking way. Um, the Warrens left the home and they returned at a later date to I perform would. a seance. I would leave it all. Mm -hmm. I, right. That's what she's saying. That's if what I'm it's saying. real, if it's, it's got to be real, then that's Cause, the cause reason. To, for a fucking hoax, there's no way I'm leaving all of my yeah. stuff behind like that. That's true. No, no. Well, let's talk about the other side of it. Just, you know, what about a gas leak? But that would only be like it would happen to what happened maybe one time that shit hit the fan. And for all these, it's several times in a buildup. But mm -hmm. can right. you all think like one time, like you have this gas leak or something in the house, especially at that time, which would cause everyone to have hallucinations. Yeah, but you'd have to figure you, out that it's a gas leak. Otherwise, you'd fucking I mean, die. So then you'd be like, true. oh, well, we had a gas leak in the house. Of course, we're all fucking hallucinating. That was weird, right, guys? Huh? And that, but uh, then you're all hallucinating on the same wavelength, yeah. which would be fucking crazy. That would be crazy. So never mind that, but yeah. <laughs> probably not that then. Never mind. Probably that. not. Yes, probably not that. Uh, so the Warrens left the home and they returned. Oh, I sorry, I said that part. Uh, there were three psychic mediums present for the séance: Lorraine, Alberta Riley, and Mary Pascarella. In Lorraine's words, "quote Both Mary and Alberta are exceptionally fine trance mediums. Both professionals, of course. Both dear friends of ours as well." She said that Ed used religious provocation before the séance to elicit a response from whatever was in the home. So he would like bring out, you know, whatever objects, stuff like that to piss it off. Basically. Okay. Which every time they use the word provocation, I literally think of ghost adventures and Zach Baggins went in there and like fucking yelling at everything <laughs> like an idiot. So nothing against Zach, I guess, but I just, you know, that's what he does. So <laughs> that's what I could think of. So I imagine this old heavy set guy yelling, yelling, yelling. Mm. Telling them, come and get me, I'm come push me, pretend like you're bad. Right. Like, That's really gonna piss them off. Right. Uh, Ed preferred to not yell curse words at them and instead pull out fucking crucifixes. So I feel like his way is better. But anyway, um, the Warrens knew that if an inhuman spirit was present, it would react after exposure to holy objects. And they've stated that this, that's what they experienced in the house. Uh, Lorraine experienced heart palpitations, which she referred to as heart flutterings, that continued for about three weeks after. 
Of the others, the book The Demonologist by Gerald Brittle, again, describes a physical assault on at least half of the people present during the seance. The book describes a lecture given by the Warrens in which a woman told them that she had heard the priest described in the Amityville Horror never existed. Lorraine responded, quote, Madam, the priest in that case is a friend of ours. We know him very well. Not only did the things happen to him that were reported in the book, more things have happened to him since that were never reported. Father has suffered many times over for his involvement in that case. Boom. Um, <laughs> okay. Tell me. In the Devil's Road documentary, reporter Laura DiDio, who we mentioned in our Amityville episodes, says that their cameraman got to the second floor landing of the house where Lorraine had gotten ill earlier in the night, and he clutched his chest, doubled over in pain. Oh my gosh. She described the color draining from his face, and I guess he was fine, because that's literally all she says about it, but okay. I guess he was okay. So I guess the point is, you know, he experienced something too. Uh, footage of Ed in the documentary shows him stating that Mary Pascarella never went into another haunted house again. And remember I mentioned she was like the director of some paranormal institute. So that was enough for her. One night in the Amityville house and she was like, yeah, fuck this shit. She I'm said, done. No mas I'm wow. I'm retired. <laughs> I, that's just, you just have to make that declaration. I'm retired. <laughs> you retired. I need it in writing. I, I declare retired. bankruptcy. <laughs> Please don't come visit me. I need to watch that again. I haven't watched it. I really want to watch it again. We will. Um, Okay, so now another story. That was the Amityville. Uh, I'm putting this one here. I'm not totally, this kind of goes with Amityville, but I'm not sure if it happened before. What in God's name made them want to have a child? I don't know. I feel like with doing all that stuff they're doing, I'd be like, hell no. Right, Right. knowing what's out there. I had a snake before Mason was born. And when I was pregnant, and the first fucking dream that I had, the snake got out and tried to get my baby, that snake was gone. I literally got rid of it within a week. I love that you said the first time that you had that dream. Were there more? Was that? Yes. (laughs) Even after you got rid of it? Yes. Oh. The snake has got to fucking go. And now your kids are older and you're like, it's a a daydream instead of a nightmare. She's like, snake ate my kids and I went on vacation without them and it was amazing. (laughs) No. (laughs) but still why why right yeah no way i would have a kid no 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 no. all that freaking baby demons in the house house. right in there you got your baby in your little moby wrap or whatever while you're fucking walking past the death museum yep the baby's breastfeeding while we're exercising the demons (laughs) uh so, again, I'm not sure if this happened before or after they investigated Amityville. It didn't give an exact timeline. but uh, So, in the beginning, I remember I said that an entity visited the Warrens' home, and it showed Ed a very bad car accident. Mm, yes. Yeah. So, Ed and Lorraine were in the car discussing we're the like, status we of their... We remember that. I remember that. <laughs> I was there for that. Uh, they were discussing the status of their current cases, and the conversation turned over to the Amityville case. Now, per Ed's description, the Amityville case wasn't different or more violent than any of the other cases they worked on or were working on at the time. But within a few minutes of Amityville being brought up, the car spun out of control. I'm going to read you Ed's description of the event. He said, quote, now I drive 50,000 miles a year so I can handle my own car. But this was unnatural. It felt like an immense hand belted the car from behind. The first time the rear of the car lifted off the ground. The second time the whole car went up. We traded ends once or twice, and the next thing I knew, we were flying down an embankment at 50 miles per hour, backwards. The only thing that kept us from crashing at the bottom was the snow the car plowed up while it was going down. Incredibly, there was no damage except for some bent car trim. 
A wrecker towed the car up the hill and we were on our way within an hour. What? The strange thing is the night after we were in Amityville, the night after we were in Amityville and the swirling black entity confronted me and projected a vision of that automobile accident. So, okay, sorry. It does give me a time. I just um, didn't, didn't really pick it up. Um, Ironically, the incident happened in the Poconos in a place they call the Lord's Valley. So that was his statement about it. Oh, okay, dokey. Um, so he just didn't realize it was his accident, but that's in, yeah, afterwards, yeah. that's what he saw. Yeah. Okay. Now, according to the book, the driver of the tractor trailer that was behind the Warrens this day described the accident like this. And again, I don't know who it is. There's nothing else. I don't, it's not like there's proof or something. It just says that's what he says. Uh, quote, I was trailing the car about a half mile behind. For no apparent reason, it went out of control. The back end swung from left to right, right to left until the driver got it back under control. A couple of seconds later, the car went into a full spin, but the spin wasn't normal. It looked to me like the wheels of the car weren't even on the road. The car was actually spinning in the air. And then while it was in the air, it seemed to be pushed from the side before it went off the road over the ridge and down the embankment. <laughs> You'd just be driving like, what the fuck? I might be like, mm, bye. <laughs> like, Sorry, I'm not stopping. <laughs> so I think that might be where we stop. Let me see how we're, where we're at, I think. Ooh. Oh, yeah, I think that's where we're going to stop because we're going to go on to another story next. Okay. So, so go ahead. This like in my brain I was thinking like what if these people were just psychotic and delusional and had the same delusions like no that'd be that'd be that'd be crazy crazy. but what if they were just like making all this stuff up there is too much that too many unassociated people have seen Mm -hmm. for all of these stories to be made up right Right. you know what I mean Mm -hmm. that's pretty crazy I mean, a lot of people think that they made it up. People think that they were frauds. There are people who think that, but I didn't see anything Damn, as I searched for stuff. Though. Right? If, if it is, yeah. If but it's think fraud, about it's it, either right. way. I mean, it's not really fraud because you're going in it to help people, and those people believe something's happening in their house also. And then mm-hmm. when you leave, yeah, you've helped. You've helped them when they leave. These some of these children aren't haunted anymore, or possessed anymore, or whatever. So doesn't really matter if you believe it or don't believe it it's the purpose was to help people and that's what happened right interesting that's true that's very true yeah i say the same thing uh about you know my brother will talk about um psychics like uh, yeah. or mediums like mm-hmm. Therese caputo who mm-hmm. i think is legit but you know he'll be like oh well she's a fake and she's just taking people's money well first of all if you know anything about her she's not just taking people's money that's not how she works but if she's even if she's taking a little bit of money she's giving people a kind of relief and closure that they wouldn't have otherwise she's making people feel healed and whole and like their loved ones are someplace safe and happy she's giving people an amount of happiness that they wouldn't have otherwise i think that's worth two three four five hundred dollars that they're paying her one time for one visit I don't think hers are that fucking high. I think 500 right. is like for a group visit or something. I, I know this or I've seen it before, but I can't remember. But still, if it's a couple hundred dollars and you're paying for that to feel better and have a little bit of your grief removed after you lose somebody you love, that's uh, not a fucking lot of money to remove some grief. Oh, right. Grief is a bitch. And, right. It's helpful. It, it makes people, so, like you said, makes people feel better. So yeah. So that like makes sense. like Ed and Lorraine. It makes people feel better. Yeah. So. Absolutely makes sense. That's fucking crazy. Ah! My turn. Your turn. Jokes with Holly. Don't look at it. <laughs> Keep forgetting you're always sitting next to me. All right, this is a good one. I just can't wait to hear the joke that you found. Oh, I'm not doing that one yet. I'm fucking six Shut hours the to fuck find up. it. 
All right, close your ears. You can't hear the joke now. <laughs> just kidding. She just told you you can't hear the joke. <laughs> wow. Katie's in trouble. Ready? Ready. What's white and 14 inches long? White I don't know. and 14 inches long. Mm-mm. Nothing. <laughs> 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 Get it? Because <laughs> white dudes got small dicks. Oh <laughs> See, I told you more penis talk. Penis, penis, penis. There's a lot of penis in this room. I mean, I mean zero penis in this room. But. Zero penis in this room. <laughs> A lot of big dick energy. No penises. That's true. Um, so as always, you can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and now on Twitter, ladies and gentlemen, at Mombies Horror. I didn't know Twitter was still a thing. Yeah, yeah I, I felt like I was supposed to do it because I was like reading other people's stuff talking about how Twitter is so big and people comment on their Twitter. Yeah. Like All right. Space. Twitter. Yeah. Oh, hopefully, nice hopefully I stay on, on top of that better than I have on TikTok. <laughs> I mean, on, um, well, any of it. Sorry, guys. <laughs> All that damn commitment. <laughs> Um, we should probably hire somebody for that. So if you guys could, more of you could be patrons, and we Anybody could wants to be pay someone. PR, yeah, for free. Okay, Thanks. specialist. Um, oh, and on Facebook, we're Mommy's Horror Podcast. You can email us case suggestions, stories, and whatever else you want, as long as it's nice to Mommy's Horror at gmail.com. You can join the Discord community. It's Mommy's Discord uh, for case discussions. And if you have tried in the past and had trouble, please go ahead and try again. Uh, there were some operator errors on my part. That should be corrected now. And I've got the um, be a nice human. Oh, I've got the link for that pinned on our Facebook. You're so cute. <laughs> and she's right. Be a nice human. Um. Oh, and last, if you want to support the podcast financially, become a patron. Get early episode releases, bonus content like the Beckford case, and more as we grow. Thanks for listening. Sweet dreams, spookies. Ooh.